This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hscc.org. I, I was listening the other day to um, the uh, podcast, and um, the, uh, the ever-interesting Professor Thurman was holding forth. He said, um, this struck me as accurate. He said, sentient beings are um, actually, we're, we're afraid a lot of the time. We can, um, you know, we get around it in various ways. But because we are so intimately familiar with the experience of suffering, that the prospect of more life, let alone more lives, is sometimes quite intimidating. And so we, we feel a lot of fear. This um, kind of uh, underscores the the fact that most most of us can't simply uh, hear that the actual basis of our life is something quite different from what we have imagined. That the uh, basis of not just our life, but everything is um, bliss and complete freedom and uh, penetrating stainless light. There, there, maybe we have been a few people. For instance, our uh, our old friend, the sixth ancestor. Maybe he just he just heard something, and the basis, the imagined basis of his life vanished, and the actual basis revealed itself. But most of us can't just sort of like hear that and sort of oh yeah right. Silly me. Particularly after many kalpas of um, uh, experience as a sentient being and uh, feeling things rather differently. So even though sitting here together uh, with you, we may actually uh, may actually sense that there there really isn't any there isn't any problem. 
this uh, this thing that we call life is ungraspable in a way that's freeing, that's actually liberating. But still, un- until the um, the basis of our our life, the genuine basis is is clear to us. You know, we may we have some trepidation. is often uh, depicted as um, uh, one of the gestures that Buddha makes is called the gesture of fearlessness. And this is one of uh, Buddha's uh, gifts to us. As a kind of fearlessness that's, um, I don't know how to say, uh, beyond the fluctuating fears of our life. He, uh, he reveals something like fearlessness as this, this body, this actual body is fearlessness. And where we sit is a place of no fear. Um, even as the, you know, the, uh, the shimmering surface of our life, which so often catches our attention, maybe that feels like there's some fear some problem, but Buddha gestures with his whole body, you know, granting fearlessness, but actually pointing to our own fearlessness. Uh, Buddha can't give us anything, really. But he can point to our own fearlessness. That's something that's um, inalienably ours. Um, I uh, resign myself to not uh, necessarily saying stuff that's really convincing, but uh, even so, the Buddha's pointing to this fearless body 
is a great, great gift. And so when we're um, and we may find ourselves among sentient beings who are um, running around in circles and they're all uh, frightened and confused. The late abbot Reverend Zen Shin Weyland had a uh, a mantra he liked to recite and that was uh, see uh, when in danger, when in doubt run in circles, scream and shout and <laughs> many sentient beings kind of operate on that basis when they do you can actually be there and okay you may feel a little rattled but you can also bring your fearless body the body of fearlessness let's call it into the situation and uh, people will suddenly like find themselves sort of drawn in your direction and you don't have to do anything then. You can just stand there with the body of fearlessness and let them, let beings collect around you because you're reminding them of their body of fearlessness. Which maybe nobody's told them about lately. And even if, as I say, you're, you know, a little rattled, things are a little freaky, still, this body is this body. So if circumstances call upon you in that way, then please don't hesitate. Professor Thurman also, he, uh, he quoted the great, the second Buddha, uh, Nagarjuna. And I think, uh, you know, the, uh, the tantric folks, uh, as we do, claim Nagarjuna as one of their lineage ancestors. And uh, some people think that there were, maybe there were two Nagarjunas. There's the long ago one, who's maybe second, maybe even first century. And then some centuries later, there was another Nagarjuna who was a tantrika guru. But Professor Thurman and the gang, they say, nah, nah, it's all same, same guy. So he, uh, he uh, quoted this uh, quote that he, he mentioned, sounds like, uh, could have been the, the long ago of Nagarjuna also. 
um, Nagarjuna in this case was uh, he was um, characterizing uh, emptiness which of course was his favorite topic and he, uh, he described it in three ways which I thought was pretty cool I hadn't actually heard this before he says uh, in Sanskrit he says shunyata eva bhiru bhishanam that's one which means emptiness is frightening to the timid shunyata eva bhiru bhishanam and we knew that I guess and then he says shunyata eva Bodhisadhanam. Emptiness is the uh, the sadhana, the ritual evocation of awakening. Ceremonial practice, if you like, of awakening. Which, by the way, is Zazen. And then he says, um, Shunyata eva Karuna Garbha. Shunyata, emptiness, is the very womb of compassion. This is, uh, this is pretty cool stuff, I thought. Uh, spoken by the, the, very, the very master of emptiness. It's uh, frightening to the timid, which is not you guys. It's the practice of awakening. And it's the womb of compassion. I do especially like that one, the bodhisattva practice of awakening. And of course, uh, maybe uh, people might think it's strange to say, well, wait a minute, how is emptiness the womb of compassion? It's like, well, it's pretty easy in a way. Once um, the potent truth of shunyata, of emptiness, uh, is, uh, you know, powerfully there for us, then this body-mind is is no more real than any other. Now usually, very often anyway, we do have this little, uh, yeah, Thurman calls it, he likes to call it the psychosis. We have this little psychosis that somehow we are number one. It's kind of how our life feels, right? Well, I'm number one, sure, absolutely. But once it's 
uh, clear that the basis of everything is emptiness. Everyone, every being, just the same. And then, the compassion for every being flows forth. No more sense of superiority or inferiority, for that matter. Everyone uh, joined the enormous heart. And that in, indeed becomes the womb of compassion. So this body of fearlessness, which is our, our body, uh, and the teaching of emptiness, and the practice thereof, which is awakening, now this is uh, all we need for this and uh, future lives without number. Which will be spent in the company of countless beings <coughs> whom we can uh, join the practice of awakening and in the uh, dynamic ocean of compassion, life after life. suffering becomes insignificant. Emptiness, intimidating to the faint-hearted who haven't yet heard about their body of fearlessness. The practice of it is awakening 
is the womb of compassion. That's an abundant teaching right there. Based on that, there's uh, nothing much to do but go on and on and on. I think I said that in, in uh, this year's death poem. Clergy people are supposed to write a death poem every year, so I'm just reminding some of y'all. Did you write one? Did you write? Oh, it's a good practice. Actually, yeah. <laughs> anyone can do it. It's probably it's good practice for anybody. And of course, one year be the last. That's okay. You have any questions? What's the name of the podcast you're referring to? Oh gosh. Uh, German has so, he's hundreds of them. But if you go on YouTube and search for one of his, it's something like uh, What is Reincarnated? I think it's that one. like that there's a possibility that in the course of one's life being confronted with various sundry fears that one could conceivably become rather skillful at arranging one's life to avoid said fears mm. and obviously a trap that one sort of sets for oneself in a way because one of these days there's going to be something like imminent death or whatever mm -hmm. it's like holy shit I wasn't ready for that <laughs> right <laughs> so, because I've spent my entire life avoiding avoiding fear yeah. Yeah. but it's 
tricky. It seems tricky to me. Mm -hmm. the, the, it seems like a, almost a subtle difference sometimes of just you become sort of accustomed to the way of your way of being, mm -hmm. which is avoiding fear, so that you don't even know that that's what you're doing anymore. Mm. And you think, oh, life is calm and placid. Yeah. You know, it just goes on day by day. Right. Nothing to worry about. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, some people who can exercise uh, usually like tremendous uh, economic force can arrange their lives so that it kind of looks that way or works that way but if you look around pretty much uh, all of them hit a wall at some point and then the uh, structures that they put in place in order to make their life feel perfectly placid all the time blow up. Uh, sometimes it's not until their last moments when they realize, well geez, I put all this stuff together and now it's all falling apart. So Buddha tells us, uh, don't do that. <laughs> don't uh, don't forget to take death as your advisor. Don't forget to contemplate the realities of death so that uh, death is like you know, a familiar companion. Don't wait until uh, you have three minutes to manage your relationship to death. most of us here don't have that kind of economic muscle so we're safe in that regard I wasn't thinking so much about those sorts of arrangements I was thinking more of like mental arrangements right that so even a person who's lives with modest means mm -hmm. can still set up situation for themselves in a way I guess I, I haven't been able to do that mm. um, not that I didn't try <laughs> well I, there's a couple of things I won't go into detail that I've become rather skillful with avoiding uh-huh okay you know? yeah and so I just I don't go there All right because and, it's a fearful place and and may I ask does that work for you um it seems to. Seems to. <laughs> it's, it, when I'm when I'm when I'm actually sort of forced to confront yeah. the uncomfortable situation, then I realize that I've been sweeping it under the rug. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, um, a, a, a saving grace in that regard may be the practices I was in, because um, somebody. Uh, Oh, many years ago, I heard a Dharma talk, and uh, somebody said he, he saw a uh, cartoon in the in New Yorker magazine, and uh, it was this beautiful 
perfect Japanese room with all these tatami mats. You know, it's just basically an e empty room in this beautiful Japanese house with a gorgeous garden. And then there's a guy sitting there, you know, contemplating nature. Perfect equanimity. And then behind him, you see there's a shoji, a screen, folding screen. And behind the screen, there's all this junk, like broken bicycles, <laughs> skateboards, skis, broken plumbing. And suddenly, this guy said, his experience of zazen was, you sit down all calmly, the screen falls down, all this crap starts rolling out. He said that he felt like that was a good thing, that that's what happens. So if we undertake the bodhisattva, the, the, the practice of awakening called sazen, uh, this tendency to try to avoid stuff really gets blunted. So that's why I say it's a saving grace. Yes? So it seems to me in my own life, I was taught a great many problem-solving techniques Yes. to get through ordinary conventional situations. Right. And in the process, I acquired a, uh, a way of thinking and acting that uh, prepared me to get through that type of stuff. But when you're talking about the, the death thing and how to... The crunch. Those, yeah. Those problem-solving devices just don't work. Not so much, no. Right. Uh -huh. So I've conditioned myself in a way which really isn't adequate uh -huh. to address the death thing. Uh -huh. And... Uh, so the conditioning that you're under, undergoing now with Sazen, that is very beneficial. So thank your, your karmic stars that <laughs> you encountered that teaching. It will make a big difference. Yes? Oh, yeah. Um, I guess I would kind of comment for me it's if I ever try and act out of a place of some concept of emptiness right out in the world things go really funny yeah so I wouldn't do that yeah I think it's at least it's difficult for me to hear sometimes this kind of teaching and not think that that I like that I can go out in the world and sort of then be in a situation engage in a contemplation which then will like enact this sort of thing like with by like looking at some concept like I have this you know thing you know emptiness you know whatever and like how does that what not and then right. I try I, at least to me it's like it doesn't work you're right um, and I love that you know I love the book of serenity but yes. that that um I don't remember which case it is, but the one about Avalokiteshvara and the whole, like, it's like adjusting. Reaching pillow. back for your pillow in the night? In the night. Like, right. it's not this conscious. Right. It's not. Right. Uh, if emptiness were, you know, something you had to acquire, or if the body of fearlessness were something you had to acquire, that would be awkward. It's already there. So, being in some situation as you are is sufficient. And you want to 
one has one's sense of what that means, then the, you know, the uh, emotional valences that are going on are less compelling. And then if something needs to be done, you might actually be able to do it. But maybe there's nothing needing to be done other than you stand there and let beings you know, come up and bounce off of you or cling to your pants leg and weep, whatever they want to do. sentient being, emptiness looks like our ultimate dissolution. So that's, you know, a sentient being would tend to look at that and be intimidating. In terms of how you experience emptiness, well, that's kind of not so relevant. Various people have various experiences. Uh, some people will cultivate in such a way that they will, at some point, have, or maybe it's better to say, return with a sense that there wasn't anything there at all, ever, anywhere. And then they may think, they may call that enlightenment. And usually if they do, they get into trouble. But it is possible. And mostly, if people uh, practice uh, Buddha Dharma consistently, something like that will occur in their life stream at some point. Maybe not exactly that, but something that Dogen called confirmation will happen. So I wouldn't worry about how am I going to experience emptiness. I would say, continue with the bodhisattva, the practice thereof, practice of awakening, which is emptiness, and let that take care of itself. It's, uh, well, you know, there's a celebrated book that, actually more than one, that's kind of full of stories of people who had various experiences. And I know that when I read that, for quite a few years, I kept thinking, well, I have to have something like that. And that's not true. So I kind of wish those books weren't quite so popular sometimes, because people come away thinking, well, I have to have something like that. Otherwise, I'm not practicing or... My dharma is insufficient. And that, of course, is not true. Okay. No fear anymore. We, uh, we did want to have a very short ceremony after this, the, the memorial for 
Isan Dorsey, our founder. It'd be great if you can stay. It only takes a couple minutes. And, and then join us for tea. Would you be a celebrant? Thank you very much.